the Just Ask Mom podcast, where mothers share their experiences of raising children with mental illness. Just Ask Mom is a Mothers on the Frontline production. Today we will speak with Paula, a mother of two adopted boys. One son has PTSD, trauma, and is on the autism spectrum. The other son has ADHD, Tourette syndrome, and anxiety. Well, I'm a mom here in Iowa. We live in a semi-little town, but it's in a metropolitan area, so we have lots of great things around us. Um, I've been married 28 years. Congratulations. That's which wonderful. is a long time. Yes, it is. <laughs> Especially if my, I mean, I'm not quite 50, but that's still, we got married when we were 20. Yeah. Um, and so we were late to the family thing. We wanted to wait. We didn't want to jump in. Um, and for a variety of reasons, being foster parents, um, and adoption was the way that we decided to go. Yeah. So we have two boys. Um, they are now 15 and 12. The first one we adopted when he was three and a half, and the other one was seven. So um, we're no longer foster parents. I do foster parent training and stuff, but we're no longer foster parents sure. because of the level of needs that they both have. Right. They need our full attention. Sure. So, um, and I'm now a stay-at-home mom, um, but professionally, I'm a rehab counselor and mental health therapist. Wonderful. So, um, before we um, get started, I just always like to ask people about themselves before they were mothers or outside of mothering. So, you told us a bit career-wise, so just mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your passions and who you are before we get started. Um, well, I love lots of things. So I'm like, it's good. Like, my husband and I joke that we're Renaissance people. So we like lots of little things. Um, before we had ch- kids, we were married a long time, um, which I highly recommend. I mean, we got married young. We were 20. Um, but we didn't, you know, bring kids into our universe until, what, year 13 or something. Um, before we had kids, though, life was moving along, you know, just the way it does. Um but it wasn't easy. Um, actually, my husband is a stage four colon cancer survivor. Oh, wow. So when we were 33, um, he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And um, less at that time, in 2001, less than um, 5% survived stage four colon cancer. Oh, wow. So um, we're one of that 5%. And so that definitely informs the way that we view the universe. We're in your... What, that's 2001, so somebody else did the math. Yeah. But 15, I mean, it's 15 amazing. years that he is still, you know, alive, healthy. We had no reoccurrence. We went through everything, you know, all the yeah. chemo, liver resection, all the worst things humanly possible. Um, so for us, every day is a gift, yeah. even after 15 years. Yeah. So um, we often joke, you know, that I should have been widowed. And had I been widowed, um, what would I have done? That's what we worked on, you yeah. know, in therapy. Yeah. How do you deal with your life? And um Literally, I would have had a farmhouse with a bunch of foster adoptive kids. Yeah. So, um, that's so this what, is your passion. So that's probably what I would have done. Yeah. So um, I grew up in foster care. Yeah. Um, my mom had serious mental illness. She was bipolar, rapid cycling. And so this was something that was always on our radars to be right. foster parents. Right. Um, and given the biology of our bodies, um, adoption was the way we decided to have a family. So Wonderful. Thank you for that. So... What would you like people to know? You have so many rich, great experiences. What would you like people to know? When I do trainings on trauma development and the way our brains work, 
Um, my favorite thing to remind parents, and it is so hard as moms, oh my goodness, it is so hard, is to not take it personal. And one of the stories that I share with my in my trainings is about when my son was five. Um, he was very big for his age. He wore like size eight, nine. Oh, wow. He was yeah. a big boy. I mean, he's tall now too, but he was a big boy, but um, he would rage. And when you have a child that has trauma, um, you can't allow them to rage alone because it's not that they need to calm down. You need to be their container. Yeah. Mentally, you need to be a container safe place for them. And so um, one of my uh, favorite ways to, to remind parents not to take it personal is um, he was in the middle of a rage and he just, his caveman brain was just in charge. He couldn't handle what was going on. And we were sitting on his bed and, and, and I had my arms around him. He was sitting um, on my lap and, you know, he was just in that full fledged, you know, bucking mode and he bucked back and he hit my nose um, so that um, it hit the bridge and I got a hairline fracture. If you've ever had one of those, you would rather have your nose broken. The hairline fractures are unbelievably painful. But where I teach people not to take things personal is in that moment when he raged and hit me, because I wear glasses, he hit me and, and I felt the pain. I knew instantly it, it was just this thing that was going into my head. If I say something now, this could undo all the work we've been doing mm, right. to help him bond and heal. So I just held him for a moment and I said, honey, I love you. I need to step out. And I stepped out and went to our bedroom, put my face in a pillow and screamed <laughs> some very colorful words, okay. took off my glasses, and I went back in and finished helping him calm down. Right. And then we went <laughs> and wow. figured out what was wrong. Yeah. Um, and so that's a prime example of not taking it personal. Yes, he physically assaulted me. He right. broke my nose. Right. The hairline fracture. I couldn't even, I wore little lightweight plastic glasses. I couldn't even put those on. Oh, but it wasn't personal. It had right. nothing to do with me. What was happening was not to me. It was to him. Right. And so always remembering that. So that's my extreme moment of even now as a teenager when he does things. I have to remember he is not saying this to hurt me. Right. It's his coping skill. Yeah. And even when he does now, he'll say, he'll, you know, use the B word. And so he never uses it anymore because we turned it into a joke. And I'm like, you know what, buddy? I really am. And I'm really good at it. So thank you for noticing. <laughs> and he stopped. <laughs> so there's took the fun out of it, Mom. I took the fun out of it. But also I... I de-escalated it and yeah. didn't take it personal. Yeah. And so that's one of my biggest wishes for moms is to not take it personal because right. it is so hard to not do that. Right. And as, it's so, as is the case with so many of these interviews so far, you're telling us something that is especially true when you have a child with mental illness, but mm -hmm. this is true for all parents. You know, <laughs> I'm glad you said that because our best friend, I love her. Um, she says when she talks about us to other people or she even complains about her children, one of her children is this, is the same age as my 15-year-old and they've you know been in school several times together and she'll complain about her daughter doing something and then she just looks at me and smiles and she goes, yes, I know Paula. 
it's that plus. So everything <laughs> that happens in, you know, quote, regular lives right. is what happens to all of us, Absolutely. which is stressful. Oh, yeah. Mom of a teen is stressful. Yeah. But I like the way that she articulated. She's like, you know what? You guys have all the normal stress plus. Yes. And so <laughs> it's not that these techniques that, I, that we use with our family um, aren't good techniques for everyone. It's just that we have to be more cognizant of it right. and more, uh, you know, more um, mindful of doing it and the reason we're doing it. Right. It's not accidental um, that we use certain language or, or that we talk about topics more in depth than your average parent. It's purposeful. Um, and so I like that because she'll do the same topic with her daughter and then she's like, yeah, but you guys have to do the plus. Right, right. So that's kind of how I view our life. We're like everyone else plus. Plus, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, a really helpful lesson. Is there anything else that you would like just people to know in general? I mean, you've done, by the way, thank you. I always <laughs> think we need to say thank you when people adopt children from foster care because you're doing not only something wonderful for those children, but you're doing something for our whole community. When we think about, as a mom, we feel guilt a lot, um, and we feel the weight of the universe on us. Yes. And so, again, again, our, our friend that says the plus, um, I've stopped working for the past four years, almost five now. I got my master's degree, and then I stopped working. So we were like, oh, well, that was interesting. And so sometimes that guilt kills yeah. me. Yeah. So I like the way that she rephrased it for me, and that was um, because we have the special needs adoption. And we had to really fight for it, which was really interesting given they were going to put him in an institution. But yeah. that's okay. So we, um, we fought hard to get the, the highest level of special needs adoption, but that wasn't until he was like 10. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we had, you know, five years of the first level. Um, the reason that, that I could not work was because we have two boys that get the special needs adoption. And so my friend reminds me that um, that is my job. Absolutely. So it's not that I'm not bringing income into our family. It's not that I'm not contributing financially. If I didn't stay at home um, and do all of the things that school calls and, hey, you know, yeah. this child won't is not doing X, Y, Z. Can you come and calm him down? Right. Um, you can't do that at the job or you get fired. So letting go of that guilt that you have to make certain sacrifices, and that's okay. Yeah. So, you know, that's one thing. And then the other thing is that I always, you know, I have a hard time saying, oh, thank you, when somebody says, you know, you're great for adopting, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Because I grew up in foster care, um, I know that it is good that we adopted them. You know, hopefully somebody would have eventually. Right. Um, but... From my perspective, I was an infertile woman in my late 30s who cried every time she saw all her friends having babies. Yeah. So in a way, it's kind of selfish. <laughs> I mean, it works out both ways. I mean, yeah. I wanted children, couldn't have children. Um, I had a special skill set that could work with kids with trauma. Right. Um, so it's like I want to say thank you for saying that, but... A part of me is always like, well, but you needed it too. So right. it's sort of a 50-50. Yes, we saved them, but they saved us. Yeah. So it works that way. It's not that, yay, we adopted foster parents. Woo it's not that simple. 
I think most of the time when we reach out to anyone else, it's helping us as much as yep. helping them. Exactly. That's always the case. Yeah. That's right. You know, and they, they have definitely um, enriched our lives in ways that we could never have imagined, and they drive us absolutely insane <laughs> in the same breath. So, yeah. But that's what most parents say. Absolutely. absolutely. But ours is plus. That's right. That's right. Well, so we ask this question of everybody. Um, right at this moment, do you feel like you're swimming, drowning, treading water? Where do you find yourself? No, I'm swimming. Wonderful. I mean, I have really great support. Our school is amazing. I really, it breaks my heart when I hear of families that struggle to get basic accommodations. Yes. Um, shout out to the Iowa City School District. They have done amazing work with our kids. That's great. Um, they've always listened to us. They value our opinion. We value theirs. Um, and I feel that we have a good support system. I mean, I, I feel isolated sometimes just as a mom because there are no mom groups for, you know, kids like mine. Um, and yet sometimes I just want to be a hermit. So right. it's a, a give and take. But I'm, I'm swimming because I'm blessed. I have a, an amazing husband um, who we are truly a partnership. I parent the 15-year-old easy peasy. 12-year-old, not so much. He parents the 12-year-old easy peasy. The 15-year-old, not so much. That, out, that's, that works out So nice. it has worked yeah. out really well. <laughs> that is good. Really well. All right. So if, as when you and I were talking earlier, you said, and this seems to be universal among all of us moms, but if, if we don't laugh, we'd be crying all the time. So we like to ask, what's your most laughable moment? So we laugh. <laughs> as I laugh about that, because I ask my family. <laughs> like, guys, what's the most laughable moment? They're like, we can't parse this out because we're goofballs. <laughs> when we when we adopted the boys and when we brought them into our family, the biggest joke was you can't join our family unless you want to be silly. And so one of the books that I always take with me when I do trainings is the How to Drive Your Kids Sane. Huh. And so it has all these little great tips of how to just do silly stuff, like singing silly in the car with a 15-year-old. Yeah. Because um, you do that with little kids. But when you do it with older kids, they crack up at you being so silly, but then they're silly and they lose that inhibition. And so we try to be silly. Our family is full of puns. We're constantly trying to out pun each other or, or alliterations. And yeah. so um, we laughable moments in our life is always around the dinner table. We always eat dinner together. Mm. Um, so, um, and I asked my husband and his, I said, so what's the laughable moment for me? And he's like, you know, after all these years, the one that always pops into his head is I was extremely exhausted. I was working the third shift at Dunkin' Donuts. And, um, you know, we were, what, 22, 23 years old. And um, I, the phone would ring, but I'm on the different body clock than everybody else in the house. And um, he says that I would always try to pick up the phone, but I couldn't find it because I'm asleep. Right. So I always pick up the alarm clock. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is one of those plugged in alarm clocks from, right. you know, back in the 80s. Yeah. And he's like, you pick up this alarm clock and you like shove it to your face and realize it's too big and that it's not a phone. And, and you just sort of look and like, why isn't anybody answering this phone? But I'm asleep. <laughs> and so he says, that's always the image that he has of laughable moments about me. But yeah. I think, um, you know, we just try to laugh a lot, you know, like you were talking about self-care. So being funny and laughing it's part of our self-care, my self-care. Um, I'm an avid knitter, um, and that has its own laughable moments whenever I make mistakes and have to undo stuff or, 
you know, I make silly things for the kids. Um, yeah, so I, I can't come up with one because there's like 10 from just going over to Hertz Donuts this morning. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with us and sharing your story. No, thank you for doing this. You have been listening to Just Ask Mom, recorded and copyrighted in 2017 by Mothers on the Front Line. Today's podcast host was Tammy Nyden. The music is Old English, written, performed, and recorded by Flame Emoji. For more podcasts in this and other series relating to children's mental health, go to mothersonthefrontline.com.